Hey guys, we're back at Romans chapter 12, verse 2. <laughs> um, and, and I introduced a subject to you last week, um, and it really has to do with the last part of, of verse 2. And um, um, let, let me read verse 2 to you. This is Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. That's a huge issue, folks. Uh, people wanting to know what the will of God is. You know, um, I, I get that question probably more in the in the course of a calendar year than um, than any other question I, I face. Um, and then he goes on to say, "What is good and acceptable and perfect?" And and um, uh, this always happens. Um, <clears throat> you may recall that last week I said something about this good and acceptable to whom? Well, it's good and acceptable to us. That is, um, the more our minds are transformed. Uh, the more we are, uh, we are not conformed, but transformed. We find this thing called the will of God to be good and acceptable and perfect. We, we find it to be beautiful. Um, you know, guys, I, I don't know that there's a believer in this room who would ever say, well, I sure am sorry that I ever walked in the will of God because that was just awful. It was just a terrible thing. But you would say that when you walked outside of that. And, I, and my, my point that I was trying to make last week is that 90% or thereabout, 90% of the mind of God, the will of God, if you will, um, is made available to you. It's already outlined for you. It's here. Uh, God's mind is made abundantly clear on most issues. So that's what we talked about last week, that, that, the, that the will of God that that Romans 12.2 is primarily talking about is God's moral will that you and I offer our bodies to God, which is what he says in verse 1, as living sacrifices, refusing to be conformed to the world, but, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. It's that that we are to pursue. That is what is what is in the mind of the Apostle Paul when he's writing this. However, does God have any specific will for individuals? And if he does, how do I find that? Now that's a fair question. And so that's what we want to try to address tonight. This other issue of this specific will for me. I, I said this last week, but I, I repeat myself. When people ask me about the will of God, what they have in mind is not his moral will. What they have in mind is not necessarily the primary um, issue contained in Romans 12 too. What they're asking me for is some kind of what is God's specific will for me, for, for us, for our family. Uh, they're not really. Their concern is really not the moral will of God, but but they simply want to know um, what would God have me do in this particular instance. And so, in terms of the frequency, that's what people are talking about when they. That's what people are interested in, at least when they're talking about the the will of God. They want to know who to marry. Should we move? Should we take that job? Um, you know those kinds of things. And let me say it again, guys. I would suggest to you that God is far more interested. Well, um, that God's will is far more important than you pick the right mate 
to marry. I mean, Christians are somewhat uh, paralyzed because they're wondering, oh, I don't know whether I should marry this one because I'm not sure that's God's person for me. Ladies and gentlemen, let's just get this straight. You married the wrong man, ladies. And you men married the wrong woman. We're both messes. You're a mess. He's a mess. And when you got together and procreated, you created little messes. That's what this... But it's about, I mean, the, the mind of God is not necessarily who you select. It is this process of, of discovering that the will of God is the thing that's perfect and beautiful and good and right in the midst of having married the wrong man and the wrong woman. Um, it's, it's a matter of growing into that which that God would have us be. I always say to young couples, I don't know whether that's the right man for you. I don't know whether that's the right woman for you. But if you'll give me two people who are willing to die to self, you can make it. Because that, ladies and gentlemen, is the will of God. That is, that both me and you, or that both me and Susie, that we both die to self. So, if you are paralyzed about whether which job to take, or whether we should move to this and such and such a city, there are some principles that can help. But ultimately, folks, it doesn't really matter. Now, that's, 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 that's not rightly said. That's not fair even. But I, I, will think, I do think it's fair to say it's far more important that you, that you respond to the stimulus in which you find, the stimuli in which you find yourself whether it be in this job or that job, in a way that reflects that you love and have found the will of God to be perfect and, 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 and acceptable and good to you. Now, let's get back to the issue, and that is, is there a specific will of God for me? Guys, there's, there's several things that you can read out there. This is my opinion. The best book that's out there this, um, concerning the will of God is this one. Oh, it's, it's, it's been around probably 20 years um, Decision Making in the Will of God by Gary Friesen. He's, uh, there's another guy in here, but the, the one that gets credit for the book is a guy by the name of Gary Friesen. Um, and in this book, um, um, Gary Friesen distinguishes or, or mentions or lists three particular dimensions of, of God's will. He talks about first... I try. I really do try. Sovereign. Yeah. His sovereign will, his moral will, and then his specific or um, individual will. All right? Now, this, this sovereign will is something that is really hidden in the, in the counsels of God, and it doesn't become knowable to me and you, uh, except as uh, in the unfolding of history. Okay, the decrees of God, that kind of thing. This moral will we talked about last week. That is this thing that's that's mentioned here in in Romans chapter twelve, verse two. Um, but um, this specific will, 
for, for individuals. I mean, they do mention it, they do discuss it, and, um, and as I said, this is what people are normally thinking about when they're, when they're interested in finding the will of God. But, um, these, these authors, or this author, rightly, rightly, um, accepts and discusses these two issues. And I think the presentation that he makes of those two issues in this book are very, very helpful and very, very accurate and, and um, solid. But the one quibble that I have with the book, and it's a pretty serious quibble, is that they disagreed that God has some kind of specific will for each life um, and that that it is the duty of every individual Christian to live in the center of his will. They rejected that notion. They, in essence, rejected this, this idea here and really um, and made a fairly good case for their having done so. I, on the other hand, have a, have a problem with that. And, and let, me, let me illustrate, or I mean, this is kind of self-serving, I guess, but let me tell you why, why I think that they're wrong about that. Um, I, I, I would take exception with the book in that regard. And, and here's the one illustration that is very personal to me. And, um, but there's many other illustrations that I could use. But this is the one that's personal to me. Ladies and gentlemen, I do believe that there is something called a call to the ministry. I, I mean, I wrestled with that whole thing back in the, the early 70s as to whether or, or not God was calling me into the ministry. And, and I, 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 I stand by that notion, that is, that there was something specific that God had for me to do. And, and consequently, I would suggest that there is such a thing as this specific will for, for individuals. So what I want to do is kind of, I want to promote this book, but understand... I have, an, I have an issue, or I take exception with that one thread that is, that is woven into this book. Now, but it's still, it's still worthy, it's a worthy read. Um, <clears throat> I do think the book helps in a lot of ways in terms of eliminating some of this, this, these hang-ups that have almost incapacitated uh, numerous Christians. Um, the, the, the book, I think, rightly exposes all of this this foolishness that goes on in the in the, in the Christian community about how to find the will of God. I mean, things like this. Um, you know, people are facing a decision, and so they say, "Oh, I'm so uh, this is I'm, I'm getting I'm losing my mind." So they take the Bible and they flip through the pages and they go, mm-hmm. and they think that God is going to communicate His will to them. There there are folks who who stake decisions on that kind of foolishness. I'll tell you another piece of foolishness, guys. And, and I bet you, I bet you some of you have sought this. This laying out a fleece business. You know what that's from? I mean, that's Judges chapter 10, I think, where Gideon is fighting uh, the Midianites and, and God raises him up to go fight the Midianites and, um, he, he does this thing called laying out a fleece and he says, now Lord, tonight, I want the, I forget the order, but I want everything around the fleece, a sheepskin. I want everything around this thing to be wet and the sheepskin to be dry. So he sleeps and sure enough that happens. So he said, well, that wasn't quite good enough. So uh, uh, the next night I want to reverse it. 
I want the sheepskin to be wet and everything else around it dry. And so, um, uh, as a result of that, Gideon concludes, okay, well, I now have the mind of God. I know what I'm supposed to do now. So folks here in the 21st century are saying, okay, if I'm going to find the will of God, then I've got to lay out a fleece. And so they say, did you ever read The Cross and the Switchblade? Did you ever read uh, that David Workerson book <clears throat> about selling a television? Um, he said, I'm going <clears> to, <throat> if, if this television sells in, in one hour, then this is God's will. Ladies and gentlemen, um, I, I would just tell you, I'll, I'll tell you two things really quick, but that's a very dangerous approach to trying to discover what God is, uh, is up to. Very dangerous. Um, I, what, what God has given, the difference between you and Gideon is that Gideon didn't have this book. You do. And uh, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God and you are supposed to use those great advantages to discover and, and, and wrestle through the... the um, the uh, define what it is God has for you, but I, I'll tell you this story. This is kind of contradicting everything I just said. But um, my first ministry when I graduated from seminary was 1975. I graduated from seminary, went to Ocala, Florida, as many of you have heard me reference. But um, I stayed there ten years, and it was nine and a half of the best years of my life. The unfortunately, that last six months almost killed me. Uh, it was it was just it was just really hard and. But in the midst of all that, my number, I think I told you this before, my number one ally was a guy by the name of R.C. Sproul. He was, um, he would call me almost, oh, two times a week and say, well, what's, how's it going now? What's, what's happening now? And tell me about this. And he would counsel me through this whole thing that I was facing. And so, um, I mean, it just seemed like every, every proposed solution of R.C.'s and mine, it just, it, it, nothing, nothing went well. I mean, it just didn't work. And uh, so it just got worse and worse and worse and worse. And I remember one Sunday night he called me and he said, uh, he said, well, wh- wh- what's the situation like now? And I said, um, well, it's this, 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 and this. And he said, <laughs> and, I, and I think he said it somewhat jokingly, but he said, well, Jimmy, if I were you, I'd lay out a fleece. And he didn't believe that. And I don't believe that. But I mean, it, it was like, goodness gracious, I don't know what to tell you anymore. So do that. What, he really wasn't recommending me, and I'm not recommending. I'm just telling you that um, even the the uh, esteemed theologian R.C. Sproul um, said something stupid like that one time. But uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, guys, um, this book that I'm recommending has a makes a great stress or, or places a great stress on the sufficiency of the scriptures in all matter on, in all matters, and that's what I'm trying to say. You don't lay out fleeces. This is where we discover the mind of God by, by uh, searching for and listening to. Um, but again, my only reservation about what they're saying is that it does not acknowledge that God does sometimes have this, this specific will for you, though it seems hidden, and um, uh, he expects us to wrestle with him and to discover it. And I think a good, a good illustration of that is this, this whole issue of a call to the, to the gospel ministry. Now, guys, um, hear me say this. You may not know what it is that God wants you to do. But, gang, um, I hope you won't be paralyzed with fear in the process of trying to discover that. Um, fearing somehow that you're going to miss it, and, um, and if you miss it, you'll be doomed to this, to this life of second-class citizenry, 
and that you will live outside the center of God's will for the rest of your life and it's all over for you. Folks, that's, that's just... That's silly. And, it, and it's very hurtful, I think, to, to God's people to think like that. You are, you've got to make some decisions and you've got to make those decisions in the light of, uh, of, of a process... Uh, as you pursue wisdom. So what I want to try and give you is a little bit of a process um, that, that I hope will be, and very frankly, I don't think this is rocket science, folks, but I, I'll tell you, I probably go over these little things that I'm about to go over with you six times a year, at least. And it's always somebody, and they'll say, okay, and, and they feel good about it. Well, I hope you will too. I hope this will uh, encourage you, but I can't imagine that you haven't heard this before now. But anyway, um, okay. If God does have one of these um, in this particular instance, I'm telling you, let me say again, 90% of your life is lived in, in the stuff that God has already spoken about, already revealed, already said something, so you don't need to worry about missing. But there are occasions where, okay, there's a job offer, there's a, there's a this, that, or the other, and you have to wrestle through what God would have you do. So here's, a, here's five or six steps that, that I hope will help you. Here is step number one, ladies and gentlemen. You apply, first, to your situation, you apply all known moral law. <clears throat> um, what has God already said about the decision that I am facing? For instance, who will I marry? Well, ladies and gentlemen, what has he already said? If you have fallen in love with a non-believer, let me tell you, you are outside of the revealed, stated, clearly understood will of God. 2 Corinthians 6. It's right there, ladies and gentlemen. So if, if that's the question you're wrestling with, there is a moral principle available to help you make that decision. It's as clean, clear as the nose on your face. Marrying a non-Christian is not God's will for you. Or, here's another example. Should I pursue a divorce? Boy, do I get that one. I got that one today, folks. Should I pursue a divorce? Well, first of all, you're never going to hear me say, Yeah, boy, just get rid of that one. You're never going to hear me say that. But there are some biblical provisions that will that God grants that will at least give you permission. The first question that I always ask in a marital difficulty is this. Has there been infidelity? Because if there has been infidelity, then the whole discussion changes for me. Because if there has been infidelity, then God has given permission for you to consider May not be the right thing to do, but you have permission to consider a divorce. If there's been no infidelity, I say, um, well, let's see how we can work this thing out. <laughs> let's see how we can discover something that will um, get you out of this thing. You know, I'm not out of the marriage, excuse me, um, that will get you out of this mess. All I'm saying, guys, is <clears throat> if I am facing a decision, the first thing that I have to do is... Has God already spoken about my moral dilemma or by my, my life dilemma? If he has, end of discussion. 
What job should I take? Well, ladies and gentlemen, there is never a time where God is going to lead you to uh, be a prostitute and to offer your services to the glory of God. I'm sorry, uh, God has already spoken about that. <clears throat> so, that's the first step. When I'm considering a decision, the first thing I want to pursue is, has God already spoken about this so that I can clearly know what he's got to say? Um, second principle. Guys, if you've got a Bible, um, let's, let's try to do this real quickly because we're already running out of time, but it's in the book of Proverbs. Uh, the, the second principle is that you are, you are called upon to pursue godly counsel. Um, I'm just going to do this real quick. This is Proverbs chapter 11, um, verse 14 says, The wise lay up knowledge, but the fool, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. That is the wise, I just, I draw your attention to the wise that lay up knowledge. Here's another statement, um, uh, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in the, an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Chapter 15, <clears throat> verse 22. Uh, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Chapter 20, <clears throat> verse 18. Uh, plans are established by wise counsel, by wise guidance, wage war. Chapter 24, verse 6. For by wise guidance, you can wage your war, and in an abundance of counselors, there is victory. Now, first of all, guys, I want to draw the, your attention to one of the words that seems to be common in every one of those verses, and it has to do with abundance or many. We're looking for not one piece of advice, not one counselor, but many counselors. We're looking for various counselors. We want to take Republican advice and Democratic advice. We want to take. We want to hear from both ends of the spectrum. <clears throat> we want. We want to know what a lot of godly wise people have to say. Um, I, I would say to you that often your best counselor is going to be your spouse. Um, the person who knows most about you is the person that you occupy the bed with, you know? Um, um, I, I, I think you've heard me say this before, but I, my best counselor, hands down, bar none, is Susie Young. Very frankly, she is the, she is the brains of the organization. I, I'm the brawn um, and the beauty, um, but <laughs> that's enough out of you. Uh, but uh, um, <clears throat> she is. I mean, she's a very incisive thinker and, I, and uh, knows me, and I, I, I would encourage you not to, um, not to ignore that source of counsel. Um, um, I, I'll say this again because I've, I just had to say this of late. I, I, have, I have done this on numerous occasions. I shouldn't say numerous. I would say in the counts, in the course of 35 years of ministry, I've probably done this 12 times. But uh, I'll have a little couple who will come into my office. They uh, they think that they've got a, uh, or the one of them, the, the, usually the, well, it is the husband who will think, I've got a call to the ministry. And uh, they want to know what I think about whether they got a call to the ministry. And so I look at that little wife and I say, uh, what do you think? What's your, what's your thought about this whole idea? I mean, what are you thinking about this? Well, I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I don't know. And so I turn to the guy and I say, sorry, son. You do not have a call to the ministry. <clears throat> Until she gets on board with you, 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 ought to, you, ought to, you ought to look someplace else. Because this is one of the counselors that you cannot afford 
to ignore. <clears throat> That's the second principle. Um, purely driven from the scriptures, it encourages us to, um, to pursue counsel. Here's the third thing. You have to consider specific and significant circumstances. Guys, um, every time I do this, people say, man, that is, that is really something. Uh, oh, it, I did it, Jason. Um, <clears throat> okay, guys, considering specific circumstances, here's something that you might want to do. You take a piece of paper. You take a piece of paper and you divide it up and you put, what's the issue? Um, let's say um, there's a job in Phoenix. And you're trying to figure out, does God want us to move to Phoenix? And so what you do is you, um, you put the pros over here and the cons over there. And then you begin to list everything that you can think of. Everything. Just any small, big, large. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, when I graduated from seminary, I had three job offers. Uh, one was in Mississippi, one was in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and one was in Ocala, Florida. The Fort Lauderdale, Florida was Jim Kennedy and offered me a job to do a youth ministry at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. <clears throat> and so I was wrestling through, do I, do I take that job or that job? And so I did this. And so I wrote down all these things, you know, the pros and the cons, and, and um, um, you know, I wrote all the... Uh, and one of the cons, this will show you what a jackass I am, um, that Christmas, my mother and daddy had given me a very handsome, I thought, leather coat. And I thought, I can't wear my leather coat in Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> Sad, isn't it? Didn't <laughs> I'm not wearing that vest either ever again. <laughs> um, all right, but I wrote everything down I could think of. And that was one of the things that was on the con list. And I put it aside for about three days. And then I, you, you pray some more and you come back and you say, well, that's foolishness. And this is not real. And that's no good. And then you're left with a, with a couple of things. You've got two pros and one con. Now you can see something a little bit more clearly as to what are the reasons. What are, uh, uh, by the way, not just physical things, but, um, uh, this job offers more money. I mean, I guess that would be over here, wouldn't it? <laughs> Uh, um, whatever, but everything, guys, all the, all the wicked inclinations that you've got, all the righteous inclinations you may have, all of that stuff goes on this list. Uh, front and back of a sheet of paper. And then set it aside for three or four days. And then try to come up with what are significant, serious circumstances that really matter and that, that are things that, are, that really should guide you. Here's number four. And I hate to say this because this is the most unreliable of all of them. There has to be some kind of inner nudge. Some kind of... Um, there's something in me that says I should move to Phoenix. Um, if God is in it, He's probably given you the desire... Of, or he's, he's probably given you a delight in Phoenix for some, in some way. But guys, um, um, don't lean on that. 
it's the most unreliable of them all because you could really want, you know, um, you know. I, I love to tell this story, um, but if you were to hear tomorrow, if you were to hear that Jimmy Young was leaving Grace Evangelical Church because he was going to Phoenix to take a church twice the size of Grace Evan for twice the salary, what would you think about me? If you heard <clears throat> that I was leaving here because I was going to ch- get a church twice this size and twice the income, what would you think of me? What would you think? What would you think, Gary? What would you think, Tom? What would you think, Carl? Do you think it's a good thing or bad thing that I would do? Thanks. But you do it every day. You take new jobs, new places for more money and and bigger responsibilities and never think a thing about it. But if I were to do something like that, you'd well, that's just awful. Why is it awful for me and not awful for you? Let me tell you something, guys. Here's my famous, this is an original. I don't have too many original things. And so when I got an original, I want you to know it's original. It's my famous Petri dish illustration. And many of you have heard it because you've asked me the question. You've asked me about what should we, we should do. Guys, you know what a Petri dish is? If your children's got strep throat, they do the little swab in their throats. They t- take a Petri dish in this right, John, I hope. And they stick the little culture in the, the little thing in the, in the Petri dish. And then if it grows something, you got, you got strep throat. If it doesn't grow anything, you don't have strep throat. But because of this Petri dish providing all of the right environment for which something can grow, that thing can grow. If you take the little swab and just set it out there, nothing grows. But if you put it in this Petri dish, that silly thing grows. But if you take away the Petri dish, the thing dies. Ladies and gentlemen, when you start making decisions... There's a Petri dish. You have family. You have um, a church. You have um, schools. You have children. All of these things are in the Petri dish. And don't remove that Petri dish. Casually. Ladies and gentlemen, now you, you would expect me to say something like this, <clears throat> but I'm telling you, it's the truth, not because Jimmy unsaid it, but it's the truth. Many of you are happy in your church life. You give that up casually, and you will regret that. Your kids flourishing, are they? Things moving in a direction that you think are wholesome and good and righteous and eternal. And you're going to give that up? Uh Uh-uh. Guys, don't do that. Um, You want some pain? I can give you some pain. When When you rip your children out of that Petri dish they're in, and your wife and your family, and you go off and make some more money, and you come home to a home that's absolutely torn to shreds. I hope you enjoy the extra income. because ladies and Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't change Petri dishes. <coughs> he does, obviously. Just don't do that casually. Don't give that thing up where there's health. Casually. Lastly, or fifthly, um, this whole thing needs to be marinated in prayer. 
That is, take your time. If somebody says to me, well, we can do this for you, but you got to let us know by 4 o'clock this afternoon. For me, the answer is always no. I am not going to be pushed into something, to a decision, because it's a goodbye <clears throat> and, until I can marinate the thing. <clears throat> I want God's permission. Um... For instance, you got money in the bank, do you? I hope you do. Uh, it, it'd be nice to have in a, in a period like this. Don't you go spend that money the way you want to spend it. You, you ask, you want to buy a new car? Maybe, maybe that's a good thing for you. But see if God gives you permission. Just commit it, saying, God, I'm not going to do this unless I get a green light somehow from you. And I hope you get one. But you may not. Um, all I'm saying, guys, is whatever the decision, big, little, I mean, I, I shouldn't say tiny. <clears throat> but for, for the young home, buying a car is a big thing. No, it's a medium thing. It's not a small thing. It's a medium-sized decision for us. And so we ain't buying one. <clears throat> I'll tell you this and I'll quit. <clears throat> guys, I get three weeks of vacation. Um, I get three weeks. But I also get a, a day that is compensatory if a holiday falls on my off day, like Labor Day. If Labor Day falls on Monday, which is my off day, I get an extra day. Memorial Day is always on Monday. Labor Day is always on Monday. So I end up usually with a couple of... I'm the only... No, that's not... Yes, I'm the only staff member in this church that has to work on Christmas Eve. But I work on Christmas Eve. But that's a, that's a holiday for this church, and so I get an extra day there. They give me an extra day, all right? So I've got about four extra days that I, I want to know what to do with. And I'm, I'm, I'm about to, th I think, go visit my daughter in Megan, my daughter Megan in D.C. You know, their, their daughter is a year old now, and, you know, I just I, we don't get to see them. I'm thinking about flying to D.C. But I am not going. I promise you. Unless God gives me permission to go, to go do that. Is there anything wrong about going to D.C. and seeing your granddaughter? And your daughter? Not a thing. Do I have the time off? Yeah. Can I possibly afford it? I think so. But I ain't going until there's some smile that, that I sense that God says, it's okay, go ahead. If he does, I mean, if he doesn't, I, I'll, I'll be happy. It's not going to kill me to lose four days. But if he does, I hope he does. And I'm praying to that end. I'm saying, guys, it's got, you've got to seek permission not just, I'm going to do it because I can. All of this, guys, I think goes into discovering and, and, and creating, I think, this moral will of God. Because I, I, I think it, it promotes a, a, a yieldedness and a submissiveness to God in everything that we're doing. Uh, from buying a car to taking a job to... God forbid considering a divorce. I hope you don't ever have to consider that, but um, if you do, there are some principles available for, for you to guide you. So, <clears throat> if you do not have biblical grounds for your divorce, don't come talk to me. Because I'm not saying, well, then this is awful and there's been a lot of verbal abuse here and you just go ahead and do what you want to do. No, you're not going to get that from me, ever. 
ever. All of these decisions, guys, I think they um, need to be committed to a, to a time where I wait, I seek permission, and I pray. That's principle number five. Let's quit. Lord, I pray that you will guide your people. We are, um, we are pilgrims in a barren land. And so guide us, O oh, thou great Jehovah. We, um, we long to uh, sense your smile, sense your pleasure. And uh, when we do, everything is good. And when we don't, there's not enough money in America to make our situations happy. So, Lord, um, we find yieldedness and committedness to you our delight. Indeed, the will of God is perfect and good and oh so acceptable to us. We, we want more of it. Uh, guide us in it. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and good night.